0: And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today?
1: Well, Lloyd, today our show is about psychopaths. Now, you may say, well, how does that relate to privacy well, this relates to genetics and the brain. And, you know, we've had shows, uh, our shows on about the brain and how it works. And that's, you know, any kind of medical information or genetic information or brain information is really kind of a private matter. However, we can learn a lot about it. And I, and I saw this article in the Orange County Register about one of our UCI professors here, James Fallon, and it was amazing. So I got his book called The Psychopath Inside, A Neuroscientist's Personal Journey into the Dark Side of the Brain. I thought it would be fabulous to have him on. So before we have him come on, I just want to tell you a little bit about him. He has an incredible background. James H. Fallon, PhD, is a professor emeritus of anatomy and neurobiology and professor of psychiatry and human behavior at the University of California, Irvine, right here. He holds a PhD from the University of Illinois in neuroanatomy and psychology and a master's in, I'm sorry, in physiology and a master's in psychology and psychophysics from uh, Rensselaer um, Polytechnic Institute. He holds an honorary doctorate from St. Michael's College, a Sloan Fellowship, a Sean Fulbright Fellowship and an NIH Research Career Award. He was chair of the UCI Faculty and Academic Senate and chair of the UCI College (laughs) of Medicine faculty, and he sits on numerous corporate boards and national think tanks for science, biotechnology, the arts, and the U.S. military. And most recently, he has been really appearing on over 30 national and international TV and radio specials on Everything from dictatorship, psychopathic behavior, murder, and violence. And we're just so thrilled that he is with us today on UC, at UCI. And thank you so much, Jim, for joining us.
0: Well, Mari, thank you for having me. This is exciting.
1: Yeah, this and is. And we're a- at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And so tell me, you know, why did you write this book? It's, it's a fascinating book, by the way. I love the style. I love everything about it. And uh, so why did you write this book?
0: Uh, this is a very good question because, you know, uh, and it's appropriate, UC Irvine, uh, where Middle Earth exists, that, you know, I, I've always been uh, like a hobbit uh, scientist, neuroscientist, small lab, and never really public, and that has changed in the past uh, uh, ten years, and especially in the past two, three years, and, and so I, I had never thought about writing a book, certainly a memoir about myself, because, you know, how interesting do you think oneself is, and I, so mm-hmm. I never thought of that, but... Uh, I had given a TED Talk, and from that TED Talk, it was one of the early TED Talks that they put on YouTube, and I didn't know they were going on YouTube. And once I gave the talk, three months later, somebody, a friend called me, two friends, and they said, you know, you got 30,000 hits overnight on this talk. I said, my talk's (laughs) up. I didn't, I had no idea it was going up. Uh, but, you know, we signed releases, so it was all cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, nonetheless, uh, within a, a, a couple of days of that getting up, I got calls from Gautam Nayak, a Wall Street Journal science writer, and he, he said I'd got to come out, and he did a, a full article on me and my family. Uh, and also, Simon Mirren called me. He's the executive producer, the Criminal Minds head writer. Uh, so, he at the time, and he says, I heard you talk, I know what you're talking about. I wrote the episode last night you got to come up and act in one of the uh you know the episodes that was great and but very then after that uh i had done a couple other talks a moth talk etc then i got within two days three calls from three different literary uh, agents in new york at the same time and so it all happened at once i don't know why and they said, you've got to write a book. We saw this story. Would you like to write a book? And I went, so I went and talked to my family. I said, we really want to go public on some of this stuff. Yeah. That's, <clears throat> and they were, pre, they were pretty cool. They've got to keep in mind, as it turns out, my wife and our kids and my brothers all have this you know, a set of warrior genes. So, of course, for people like that, everything, competition and, and being way expansive is, is uh, always a good thing. So they, of course, said yes. And uh, but, you know, there were some, obviously pri- some privacy issues, too, but they they thought the story, not about me, but about it, about yes. the psychopathy and about the, in the population, what it means in terms of neighborhoods, different places in the world with recurring violence over generations, that the story of transgenerational violence was would over, override any sort of kind of privacy concerns. And they were all innocent of anything, so what the hell? They figured, you know, you are not going to get in trouble. Right. And so I said, okay. So uh, that's, how, that's how it started.
1: Well, I love the prologue of the book because you really tell, you know, what happened to you and why you were going to write this book. So why don't you tell my audience, give them an appetizer about what you learned about yourself in your own research.
0: Well, you know, I'm 66 now. And you figure you're supposed to know yourself. By the time you hit 60, you're supposed to have gone through finding out who you are. And you're supposed to do that by the time you're 21 or 25. And, uh, and so for this to all come down, uh, was, was really a, a surprise. I had uh, done a lot of work in adult stem cells and been working in psychiatry and schizophrenia, the genes, also depression, Alzheimer's. And, uh, but part of just a side part, is back starting in the mid-'90s, I started to do analysis of serial killers, murderers' brains, like PET scans, et cetera, uh, from colleagues. And I did one or two a year, and that went on for a number of years until the mid-2000s where I got a whole bunch of these from different uh, collaborators. And um, so uh, once I had looked at all these, I saw a pattern. That is, for psychopaths and for, uh, for these killers, these murderers, there was a pattern. I never knew or thought there should have been a pattern because I'm not an expert on psychopathy or killers, but I'm, you know, I'm a neuroscientist who can analyze certain things. And I saw this, and it kind of floored me because I, we did a you know, blind study, so I didn't know who was who, and it came out very consistently. And so I got, became very interested in this, you know, scientifically. I said, God, there's a pattern to this. Right. Uh, but the pattern was hidden other, un, under other damage because some of these murders or people with psychopathy were abused, many of them, early on in life, and they were hit over the head, or they ended up taking drugs, alcohol, so they have other brain damage, so the other brain damage can mask the this underlying simple pattern, and that simple pattern, I said, aha, this is it, so, you know, I wrote a, a paper on that and gave some talks to kind of air it through, you know, different academics, uh, people uh, to different uh, judges and attorneys who work in criminology, and just to fly it by, and And so, but at that time, at the same time, we were our lab was doing an analysis of the genetics behind Alzheimer's disease. Now, my wife's mother and father died of Alzheimer's, and many people in her family have it. So I said, "This is we're normal, so we can go in as a family, and let's just look at it, uh, and it'll give." I told Diane, my wife, I said, "This will give you a chance if you want to do it to find out whether you have the genes that would be associated with Alzheimer's and the brain patterns from." PET scan and EEG. Right. And, so they, and so everybody agreed, because she said, what the hell? She says, she had Hodg- non-Hodgkin's lymphoma yeah. in 2000, and she, she's made it all, all the way through. It's never come back. But at the time, she says, I'm going to die of lymphoma before I'm going to die of Alzheimer's. She's very funny about mm. uh, this, but that's how she is. She's a very stoic, uh, uh, sort of rational person. Mm. And uh, so she went along with it, the kids did, and I said, well, if we find out that any, if we have the genes... You can change your lifestyle, what you eat, how you exercise, whatever. And uh, so they decided to do it. We did that, came back, and I, was, I had a pile of these murderer scans on my desk, and I had a uh, then my, the technician brought in my family scans. I looked at them, and I went through very quickly, one, two, three, four, five, six, and they were coded, uh, and they all looked normal. And I, this was wonderful. I, I figured this was, this was great news because I was a sign of Alzheimer's. So right. I got to the last scan. On the bottom, I said, uh-oh, wrong pile. The, the pattern on the scan looked just like the worst murderer I had looked at. <laughs> and I said, this switched uh, you know, I switched piles. So I asked the technicians, I said, check the machine, the pet machine, check everything. And they came back and they said, no, it's really your family. So we undid the code, and there was my name. And that was, I went, oh, you know, and I kind of laughed. We all laughed. They said, oh, oh, I've been studying this, and now it's me. Okay. <laughs> but I t- you know. You're the killer. <laughs> yeah, the killer. Said, but Mario I said, you know, at the time, we had started a new company for uh, adult stem cells for stroke, chronic stroke, and we were on a hot trail for, these, for all these genes for Alzheimer's and schizophrenia. I did not have time to really look beyond that for a while. Right. But once uh, uh, later, you know, sometime later, Gautam Nayak, uh, came out. I said, I, got, I have to get some, get some more information. So I got more genetic information. Same thing happened. All my family had this kind of average mix of, aggression, violence, uh, empathy-related genes. So they looked, you know, normal genetically. Same thing, there was the one outlier. And I had all of these alleles for genes that are associated with aggression, violence, low empathy. And so that was two different hits right there. So it got a little bit more serious. It was still a curious thing, but it still became more serious because I had two major things associated with psychopathy. Then a, a series of things happened, and I finally uh, started to think to myself, "What?" The, I, I started to re- remember that over the years, some of my colleagues, psychiatrists, other people, family members, they go, Jim, you're a psychopath. And <laughs> but I, I took it because they were spread out over years and years. I thought it was one of those things, you know, when somebody says, oh, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're just crazy. And I went back, and I, and I said, Remember that time or remember those two times, just, uh, all my colleagues they go, no, we really meant it. You're a uh, for, for very specific reasons what I, yeah. of what I was doing. And, and then I went to my family. I said, you got it. And my fr- really close friends have known me. And a lot of these psychiatrists know me really, really well for many years. And, of course, my family does. And, you know, my wife and I, we were first dates when we were 12 years old. So she's really known me. Wow. Uh, and I said, is this true? They said, of course it's true. We've been telling this, you know, <laughs> since your 20s. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. And that, that was kind of, you know, they, they said, you really have a lot of psychopathy in you. You don't kill anybody. You don't rape. You don't do any of that stuff. So I'm not, I don't do criminal activities, but I have everything else. Yeah. And so, therefore, uh, I, I rank kind of high on what I call the group one and some of the group two uh, symptoms or traits. And that was, uh, you know, that was sort of interesting that they all agreed. Yeah, you know, and that,
1: that whole thing of going back to, you know, what jumped in my mind when I was reading all that is like nature versus nurture, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, you that, know? that brought up the next thing. Which
1: yeah. Was,
0: uh, and so anyway, after they all told me this, frankly, I, I didn't care. Yeah. They were right. See, the fact, that they, it, it, the fact that I didn't really care, I still don't care, uh, kind of proves the point. But I said, why is my behavior? It's one thing to think crazy thoughts. And to have a lot of traits that are psychopathic. Right. But to not do anything, to not act them out really, you know, any of the really negative things, criminal yeah. things, yeah. I, I started to really think about that. And I said, of course, it had to maybe something to do with the environment. Now, right. I had always been, I'm like a poster boy among my colleagues, for somebody who says that genetics determines everything. So now, so I was really resisting this. Said, oh no, it's going to be environment coming back to, to, to bite me. Right. So I had to really look at that, and, and, and the more I looked at epigenetics, the interaction of genetics and environment, it really started to tell a story that I had to accept. You know, as probably yes. true. I had to eat crow on this. So yes. all my colleagues got a good laugh at me for saying, see, you're wrong. If you're wrong, you're wrong. But scientists hate to be wrong, so I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, anyway, uh, it, so I started to think of, you know, what is the mix here? So I, I watched my mother, who's 96 now. She lives in Fountain Valley, very close to us, and who gave us many of these genes, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was sitting on a stool, a three-legged stool in my backyard. I was sitting in the jacuzzi, and she was, you know, pruning the plants, like she likes to do. And, I, I, and then it hit me, and I said, my God, it's a three-legged stool. One is... In order to elaborate the full psychopathy, you have to have, one, the genetics. Right. That kind of loads the gun, as the story goes. Right. Uh, two, the brain has, has to be either at birth or before birth or somehow, early on, changed in such a way that certain areas of the brain are turned off, and these are the emotionally related areas of hmm. the bottom of the brain, the bottom of the, above the eyes, the orbital cortex, and also the amygdala that is sort of like your id. and that that's the second thing. So it's the brain pattern, the activation pattern, and the third thing had to be environment. Then I started to read a lot on this, and I got that's it. Yeah. And the epigenetics, uh, you know, really told the story. But I was looking at my mother, and I, you know, and I really reminisced on I had such an incredibly wonderful upbringing. Mm. My parents and my aunts and uncles, my grandparents, and my extended family. I was treated wonderfully,
1: loving, my, loving, you
0: know, very loving and nurturing. And I look back at all the pictures when I was a kid. I'm smiling and laughing, and I'm playing with all my family. And and starting about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I said, "Ma, that's my mother. What really happened?" And then she started to tell me. She says, "I never told anybody this, but when you were about uh, ten or eleven, you went you went from this very sweet, sociable kid, very interactive, and you started to go dark, and you you you." didn't do anything like all this one summer you just got a boat and fixed this boat up and did nothing with it and i didn't talk to anybody i worked like maybe 16 hours a day on this all summer long she was really worried and she was going to have you know take me to our neighbor who was a psychiatrist he was one of the pioneers for uh, you know brain shock therapy and uh, and but she decided not to because it was such a negative thing at the time you know right and and she didn't tell my father either she said, we, I just watched you and watched you. And she said, you kind of came out of it because I was then so involved with sports and everything. I kind of came out of it. And, and so she says, I was extremely worried about you. And, but beyond that, what, after my oldest brother, our oldest brother was born, we went through five years. She went through five years of miscarriages.
1: Mm.
0: When I was born, I was like a golden child, just because I didn't die,
1: right, but right, right, you made it, yeah
0: I made it and and then, after me, there were four more years of miscarriages until our hmm. next brother. then they our parents really got into the swing of it, and they got it was a total of six kids. Wow, and at that time, I was in the middle of ten years of no kids, right. and so I was I was a golden child just because I was there, and everybody treated me wonderfully, so that I figured that must have been it,
1: wow,
0: but I i didn 't know a mechanism in the epigenetics until about a year and a half ago where there's one of the high risk ag- aggression genes it 's a serotonin transpor- transporter, and, uh, and serotonin plays very, a very large role in aggression and violence. well that, that one allele of the serotonin transporter uh, put me at, supposedly at great risk for wow. psychopathy and aggression. but there was two papers came out that showed that if instead of early abuse, you had that gene allele, that you were surrounded by nurturing, it would kind of negate the other the other bad effects of the genes. Amazing! It was just floored me. I thought this was the greatest thing. And so, you know, there's not a lot you can do with psychopaths for treatment, except perhaps early on, if you can, you know, if you can identify them early on, two, three, four, or five years old. Uh, but after that, it's very, very difficult. Nothing really works to change because the brain's pretty much set in that fundamental pattern. So that was the three-legged stool idea. And then I had really, uh, you know, a hypothesis to work on. Right.
1: And so uh, why don't you tell our audience what is a psychopath? Kind of give us what it is.
0: Well, let me, Mari, let me give you the bad news first, okay? Okay. The bad news is that if you if you ask, uh you, you go around to, you know, regular psychiatrist and you say what what's a psychopath they said doesn't exist mm-hmm. and if you go further and say what's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath they'll go well they neither one exists well they don't really mean it doesn't exist it means that it's not an official personality disorder right it, for a couple of reasons one is that the traits of the, the psychopath that robert hare came up with in the 90s with this wonderful checklist it's robert hare psychopathy checklist which was used mostly in criminology, forensics, etc., was not used in, in m- most mainstream psychiatry, and partially because there's a lot of overlap. For example, there's a lot of overlap between psychopathy, as defined by Hare and others, uh, and, and narcissism. You know, narcissistic right. personality disorder or malignant narcissism, even worse, uh, and also antisocial personality disorder. Because of this overlap, it was not a distinct thing. And that, so in, in, a, in a formal way, it doesn't exist. But, I mean, everybody will say, but there are all these traits do exist in people. So, you know, what are they? Well, one of the, it can be broken up into two basic, uh, what are called factors. You know, and these factors are a list of traits. And the first one has to do with your interpersonal behavior, how you treat other people. Psychopaths look through other people. The other doesn't exist and doesn't matter. So other p- people, one-on-one, they do not matter. They're not seen as people. And, and, and so the psychopath doesn't have that connection that a normal person has. And, and also there is, is part of that, that first factor is what's called social dominance. Uh, people with psychopathy tend to be very dominant socially, and they can do that because of their glibness, the way they can you know, th- uh, you know, exude charm and charisma. Right. They're the kind of people that walk into the room and they got that light around them,
1: right. uh, and
0: they have very, very high sense of self worth, uh, and they're very, very good at being c- very cunning, you know, manipulative, and because of that, and their the shallow emotionality, and they they don't have guilt, people can't read them well,
1: yeah. And
0: so they normally we can tell if each other is lying or they're using us by reads called tells. Well, because the psychopath doesn't really register pain and that ne- negative emotional uh, feeling from guilt, you can't tell that they're lying. You can't tell because they don't show it. Yeah. This is so, so insidious because they're absolutely believable. Right. And it's part of that factor one thing, this, this, this grandiose personality. Like that Bernie
1: Madoff, right? Bernie oh, Madoff. yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. So he's, you know, he and many other people, you know, Bill Clinton has some of these positive traits. Right. Uh, you know, there was an analysis done of all the U.S. presidents by their biographers that took this, another uh, psychopathy inventory called the PPI and ranked them uh, in terms of this, this, this sort of this factor one sort of psychopathy. Hmm. And, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt was number one and, and FDR was number three. I mean, they were way up on psychopathy. They're so believable, and we now know that FDR you know, lied, but he felt he had to. He did it for good. He did it for the world, right? Right, right. And, and so we know that some of these behaviors are important to get things done, even though they may be illegal or unethical, which is, you know, reason why, one of the reasons why psychopaths are useful in a society. Without FDR, what would have happened to us? Right, so, right. So you know what I mean? If yeah. you don't like him, it's just he, he was able to blow through the ethics and morality a bit Ah, uh, to get a vision done, and he was able to, you know, beat the fascists down. So, uh, you know, so we accept those things. Now, the other uh, factor, the, the second factor, uh, has a couple of parts. But one part is antisocial, and and it has to do with antisocial personality disorder and delinquency and uh, all sorts of it's criminality. Yeah, yeah. One of the questions for people who study psychopathy is that really necessary to to be in there because most psychopaths do not have that criminal behavior mm-hmm. uh, and, and really full-on antisocial stuff. They have the other things. So that's one of the issues is whether it should really, that criminality part is a fundamental part of psychopathy. I don't think it is, but that's me. I mean, that's my own bias. But this uh, these other one has to do with your lifestyle, uh, this other part of uh, the factor, two, And that is very imp- impulsivity, irresponsibility, uh, Kind of, like, kind of like the Great Gatsby, you know, yeah. where they're very, they just blow through people's lives and they don't care. They, those, their behavior, the Great Gatsby, that with those, both the husband and wife, were, is very psychopathic. And they, they need a lot of stimulation, excitement, they get bored easily, uh, they live off of other people, not just materially, but they drain them socially and drain their energy. And so those are the two major, uh, you know, factors in psychopathy. And there's other things, you know, they. Psychopaths tend to be very promiscuous mm. uh, and have you know, some, some oddball sexual behaviors, not kinky or we you know or negative, but they're very, usually very promiscuous, and they, they run through mates pretty quickly, or they, they're married and they, may, they have tons of affairs stuff like that. But any one of those things is not enough to make you a psychopath, but if you add them all up right. there's a 40 points total, if you get over like 28 points, you're called a psychopath, and that's. 28 or over is about one percent of the males in any culture but two percent of the males in any culture about one percent of the females
1: Hmm. so you know in terms of genetics and, and in terms of gene therapy i mean when you kind of look ahead what could we do is there something that we could do in gene therapy i mean the fact that you learned that that you had some of these traits, but obviously you came out so positive and you're from a loving environment, a nurturing environment, a positive environment with all your family, you know, thank God you didn't go down the dark road. Right. But um, so is there is there something that we can learn from this to, to help uh, babies? Now, I know they take uh, blood samples from every baby that's born now. And, and there is genetics. I mean, and it's kind of a scary thing to look at that but it, would there be any possibility of any kind of gene therapy for something like this?
0: Well, first of all, determining the psychopathy early on. You know, I worked with uh, pediatric neurologists and psychiatrists who said they could tell a, 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 a kind of a born psychopath when they were about two or three years old, but they never told any; It was destructive. And, you know, what, if you're wrong, and even if you're right, what do you do? Yeah. And, and so a lot of them never said anything, and, and I know this going back decades. But, and so, a psychiatrist can read can read a kid like this, and other people can read them too. They're just the way those they look through you. Now, frankly, I, every two year old is a, is a sociopath. <laughs> yes, right. You know, they look right through you. They just want to be fed and right. pleasure, and everything. so that's it. They just never, you know, in a way, psychopaths right. never grow out of that. But uh, but we think it's cute. But you can imagine a you know instead of a, a two year old at, uh, at at uh, at. 35 pounds, it won at about 250. This is right, trouble. Right, yeah. right,
1: right.
0: And so now there's no way, uh, for example, when I look at uh, brain scans, PET, SPECT, other, other fMRI, I can infer, I can guess, based on the lack of activity or the strength of activity in different circuits of that person's brain, traits that they might have, right. if, whether they have a language disorder, whether they have a low sense of uh, emotionality, I can tell those, but whether, you know, just by looking at a scan, is that person a psychopath or is that person a criminal? You can't tell. And so, you know, so the imaging alone really, I, I think, is very inappropriate now. For right, example, right. In, in, in the in courts of law. Now, but if you then, and if you just look at it by genetics, like, oh, this person's got all these genes, these warrior genes and everything, so in, <clears throat> those, those alone do not tell the story. Right. They tell the tendency. Right. Now, if you have both of the genetics and the imaging together in the same person, uh, then you're starting to get somewhere. Yeah. So given that, and I've used this uh, in, in a show I did in Discovery Channel with Eli Roth to, to, to guess all his behaviors, what he, what he was. So, and it was right on, because it's not because of my insights, but because anybody like me could have seen these together, uh, that he was a certain way, how he reacted to emotionality and, and to other people. Uh, and he, it was, uh, was a great moment because he said, his, it turns out, he says his father told him that all his life. His father's a psychoanalyst from Harvard. Yeah. And, and so anyway, you can tell these things. I've looked at killers and said, well, they probably also have a speech impediment or they have this problem, and it's true. But the genetics and the brain imaging together are powerful. But then you really need to know the background of the person, you know some of the epigenetic possibilities.
1: Right. Now, and so you we're know, not we... there yet. Yeah, well, this is a fabulous book, and it's called The Psychopath Inside a Neuroscientist's Personal Journey into the Dark Side of the Brain by James Fallon, a wonderful professor right here at UCI. Why don't you give your website, and it's time for us to go, believe it or not.
0: Okay. Well, if I'm on uh, Wikipedia. Just okay. go to Wikipedia for James H. Fallon, and that has a bunch of things I do. And if you go to the UCI faculty website you can see my geek uh website academic uh, you know credentials etc
1: it's a wonderful book you're doing great research and we will have you back again jim thanks so much for your time
0: thank you too marie
1: okay bye-bye Bye. you've been listening to kuci 88.9 fm Minervine and kuci.org on the net i'm marie frank join us every monday morning at 8 a.m right here on kuci and visit our website at kuci.org slash privacy piracy thanks stay private